0: Now we all remember 911. I received a phone call and uh, the party told me to turn on the TV and to see what's going on and I turned it on and of course the uh, attacks had already occurred earlier but they were showing reruns of it and I looked at it and I saw those planes hitting those towers and I thought that's just like a Hollywood movie, it's like a Hollywood fiction. Well of course we know it wasn't because uh, around 3,000 people were killed there. Uh, They had estimated a lot larger number, but it ended up around 3,000, but um, I don't think there's a single person that left his home that morning, rode the train, took a bus, traveled on the subway or walked, had the slightest idea that would be his last day on the earth. Most people who are killed by accidents or some type or another, when they get up in the morning, they don't think this is my last day. So, I want to I talk to you today is about the reality of the resurrection. The reality of the resurrection. I've got a particular thing I'm driving at. I'll get to that later on. But let's notice here plainly, the Bible emphasizes repeatedly that there is going to be a resurrection for all human beings. In fact, it doesn't make any difference whether you're going to be righteous or wicked. There will be a resurrection. The Bible says so. Notice Matthew 22. Verse number 23, the uh, Sadducees didn't understand it, and uh, they said uh, the same day the Sadducees, who, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him, and of course they asked him this question. They didn't believe there was a resurrection. And in verse 29, he said, you are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. So they neither understood the Scriptures, what the Scriptures themselves said, and they certainly didn't grasp God's power. So Jesus emphasized that. Now in John chapter 11, John chapter 11, in verse number 24, we read, Martha talking to Jesus, because remember her brother Lazarus had died, and Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. So there were those people certainly at the time of Christ who understood that and recognized it even though the Sadducees didn't. And in 2 Corinthians 5, verse number 10, what I'm demonstrating here is the Bible absolutely shows there will be a resurrection of all. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 10, here's what Paul wrote. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. All. All. So it doesn't make a difference whether you're righteous or wicked. You will be resurrected and you will face the judgment seat, plain and simple. That each one may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And Jesus said this in John 5, verse number 28. John 5, verse number 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this. For the hour is coming which all that are in the graves will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So there is a resurrection absolutely going to take place for all human beings. Acts 24 verse number 15 sort of reminds you of of uh, what I was hearing a prison warden say one time about death row. And he said, uh, they have this customary thing here of giving this convict his last meal before he's executed the next morning. And this warden said, I have never yet seen one of those convicts eat that meal. They give it to a friend. They give it to a cellmate. They don't eat it themselves. A very, very sobering situation faces them. Now, in Acts 24... Verse number 15, here's what Paul said. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept. That is, um, the question came up because he was being interviewed here, defending himself before Felix. And he said that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. And remember what Daniel said here in Daniel 12, verse number 2. Daniel said, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Two choices, one or the other. Now let's consider, first of all, the resurrection of the just. There are some hints of it, of course, here in the Old Testament. Let's go to Psalm 68. Psalm 68 in verse number 20. And um, we read here, Our God is the God of salvation, and to God the Lord belong escapes from death. Now that certainly applies physically. We know that because there are many occasions when God's righteous have been delivered by God, but it also includes the eternal death. That's how we escape it, by means of God. And going back to Job chapter 33 and verse number 26, Job 33 and verse number 26, we read, He shall pray to God, and he will delight in him. He shall see his face with joy. Now let me ask you this question. Can anyone see God's face now in the flesh? The Bible says no man can look on God and live. So this is talking about something else. That's exactly, of course, what we read in John. And in uh, Luke 14, verse 14, Luke 14, verse 14, we read in this text, when he said, beginning in verse 13, when you give a feast, invite the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So those things are taken note of by God, the the good things that we do in this life. And Luke 20, verse number 35, those who are accounted worthy to attain that age, that is the kingdom of God in the world tomorrow, and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage, nor can they die anymore. They can't die anymore. So this is talking about the righteous, Uh, for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. So that is one of the promises that God makes relative to uh, the resurrection of the just. In uh, Romans 6, verse number 5, Romans 6, verse 5 if we have been united together in the likeness of his death. And we know, as we just uh, read here in these uh, passages in um, Romans, that we have to be changed. Our whole thinking has to be changed, so we're, we think spiritually rather than physically all the time. We have a spiritual orientation rather than a, than a material one. So we read here in this, in this particular text here, if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now we know that Jesus Christ was the only one so far who's been resurrected to immortality. No one else has. He's the first of the first fruits. That's why we read over here in 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 42, So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. That is to say, as human beings, we're born in the flesh and it's uh, labeled as being corrupt. That is, it's subject to decay and, and uh, vanishing. We've, it's been sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. So it's raised. So as he says here, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. So we're clearly talking here about the resurrection of the just. And in First uh, Thessalonians 4, verse number 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord will by no means proceed those who are asleep. It's a resurrection. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first even before those who are alive on the earth will be changed. So we see very plainly there's a resurrection of the just. Now, there's some Old Testament passages we might look at briefly here relating to this too. Let's go back to Psalm 16. Psalm 16 and verse number 9. Therefore, my heart is glad. This is the psalm of, of, of David. And uh, my glory rejoices; my flesh will also rest in hope. So here, David is talking about the future, and he says here, and he, of course, this is referring to Christ, and uh, is, is true of human beings who are sons of God who will be changed into immortality. And uh, actually, this this is quoted by in the New Testament even. You will not leave my soul in shield. you will not allow your holy one to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. Your presence is fullest of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's where you get pleasures forevermore. You know, no matter what kind of physical pleasures that one has in this life, they' are limited. I remember my mother was uh, about 88. She was 88 when she died, and she came to visit us. And um, I'd have to say she lasted pretty long considering her diet. Uh, she, she didn't love anything better than to soak cookies in coffee and then eat the cookies after it had been soaked in coffee. And she came to visit us, and we didn't have any, any dessert there. So for breakfast, she insisted on having a big spoonful of sugar. That was her dessert. She lived to 88. Well, that was, I told my wife, I said, that's one of the few things she's got has left in, in life to enjoy. But I mean, no matter what you enjoy in this life, those changes, uh, the, the, the taste you have, change over a period of time and over a period of years. And eventually, they're all gone because you'll be gone. But pleasures evermore, that implies something far beyond that. Uh, Job 19, verse number 26. After my skin is destroyed, Job writes, This I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. And that's a very poor translation. The actual word, I think uh, you can compare it to Job 11, verse number 15, where that exact same word is used. And in, in in Job 11, verse 15, it can only have one meaning, and that is the word without. And this should be translated here, After my skin is destroyed... That's this corrupt body we all have. This I know, that without my flesh, I shall see God. So we're talking about a spiritual body, aren't we? And in Psalm 17, verse number 15. Psalm 17, verse 15. We read this text. As for me, and here's another This is a prayer of David written up in a psalm. And he said, As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. That's right. What did John say? You'll see him as he is. So David certainly understood that. And uh, we we said, I just read here, I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. Now, what is his likeness? Well, that's a very good description of that here in Revelation, the first chapter. Because we read in Revelation chapter 1 here, and verse number 16, He had in his right hand seven stars, symbolic, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, symbolic. The next part is not symbolic. Symbolic. And his countenance was like the sun, shining in its strength. Um, As I pointed out to you, what did John say? We'll see him as he is. So we're talking about a a glorified, resurrected body. This is the resurrection of the just. In Psalm 73, verse number 24. Psalm 73, verse 24. Here's again what... uh, this particular psalm here was written by Asaph, who was a seer, by the way, prophet, in other words. And he says here, you will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. So this was understood in the Old Testament period. Why the Sadducees lost track of it and couldn't understand it and denied it. Is, you know, it makes you wonder. They, they apparently didn't understand the scriptures the way they thought they did, and Jesus told them so. There's plenty of evidence in the Old Testament about a resurrection. And in, um, in the New Testament, Philippians 3, verse number 21. Philippians 3, verse number 21. Here Paul is describing, he said, Our citizenship is in heaven, verse uh, 20, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our vile body, as the authorized version has he will transform our vile body that, may it, that it may be conformed to his glorious body. So the, not only is the Old Testament, but the, the New Testament certainly is full of the resurrection of the just. And Jesus himself said that in, the ministry, in, in during his, his ministry here on the earth, as we read here in Matthew chapter 23 and verse number 43. I mean, pardon me, Matthew 13. Verse 43, I'll get it straight here eventually. Matthew 13 and verse number 43. Then the righteous will shine forth as a sun in the kingdom of their father. As a son. It's going to be a different world. This present physical world isn't going to be, the Bible goes so far, say it won't even be remembered any longer. Because it's going on to things that are so much greater. And Daniel 12, once again, verse number 3. I I want to emphasize this once again. Daniel 12, verse number 3. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. There it is. Pretty plain, isn't it? And then Paul described it once more here in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 58. 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, remember this 15th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians is about and concentrates on the whole thing about the resurrection. And he says here at the end, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be you steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord it's going to be well worth it in the end so that's certainly a resurrection that's going to involve many but now I read a little while ago about a resurrection of the unjust too didn't I now what is that resurrection all about all right, let's, let's notice here. Certainly the forerunner to Jesus Christ was John the Baptist. Now, he didn't perform a single miracle, did he? Yet Jesus said of all the prophets that were ever sent, he was the greatest. Because his mission was extremely important. He was to set the stage for the acceptance of Jesus Christ. And that's what he did. And as a prelude to the future, what did he say here in Luke 3? Verse number 7, Luke 3, verse 7, he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So he was giving them ample warning. Now, here's what he said, verse 9, and even now, in other words, the whole process is now being set in motion. The axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So, as he said over here in verse number 16, One mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So, here was a warning already laid out here by John the Baptist. Malachi 4 spells this out very plainly here. Let's notice Malachi 4, beginning in verse number 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yea, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day is coming shall, that shall, which shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. So there is, the Bible terms it in the book of Revelation, a lake of fire, there is one coming. You know the, prob, the trouble with most people? You know, you, you take a lot of criminals. They will commit some act. And when, when they're committing the act, they don't give a hoot or think one second about, number one, the consequences of that act. And number two, what's going to happen to them in the future? Never dawns on their heads. You will pay for what you do. That's all there is to it. And criminals, if they're not caught in this life, and they think they've gotten away with it, they're going to face another one. Now, let's notice here, in Matthew 25, verse number 41, here's what Jesus said. Matthew 25, and verse number 41. He'll say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Pretty plain, isn't it? And in Philippians 3, verse number 19. Philippians 3, verse number 19. Beginning in verse 18, Many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, That they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction. So he's talking here about people who evidently have committed the unpardonable sin, whose God is their belly. In other words, the physical lusts and appetites and things of this earth are what they serve and they don't care about anything spiritual. It reminds you of what God said about Esau. He said he was a profane man. You know what that meant? There's no spiritual orientation in his mind. He only thought of the immediate physical. And when he sold his birthright, that's what he sold it for, immediate relief of his hunger. And he didn't stop to think for a second what the significance of that birthright really meant to him. And later on, when he wanted it back and cried with tears to get it, he couldn't have it back. He sold it for a little pot of beans. So it shows you, that's why it calls him profane. He had no spiritual orientation in his whole mind and thinking. Anyway, whose, destruction, who, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Now, we're all born of the flesh, aren't we? We have our minds on earthly things. But someplace along the line, if and when we're called by God, that orientation has to change. And our mind has to begin to drift towards spiritual things. And we go past this material thing. Sure, we still have to have the material things to live in this life, but if that's all we live for, it's going to end when you end. So that's a pretty plain text, isn't it? Go back to Psalm 68 now and verse number 2. Psalm 68, verse 2. Here we read here, uh, this is a Psalm of David, beginning in the verse 1 here, Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered, let those also who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. In a physical type, that would certainly be a representation of of their uh, being vanquished on the earth, but it also implies something beyond that because it says they're going to perish. They're going to, in it, they'll perish just like they're in a fire. I've commented on this before. I've never forgotten this. When we were in college, we took a tour of the Kaiser Steel Mills. and They're out in Fontana, which was east of uh, LA. And uh, they had what they called a, uh, I forget, it wasn't really called, it might have been called a coking oven some similar term like that and they had a big catwalk and it was about as big as this whole room here and uh you were about as high as the top of the ceiling on this catwalk walking along it was back because there was so heat that entire entire room was full of red flames almost up to the ceiling and sitting in the middle of that that room were huge steel ingots uh weighing several tons they would probably make up the size of of a 10 of those uh Desk there that they're using with the equipment on. Ten of those. They're huge things and they were white hot. And they had to put them in those particular chambers there and leave them there for like a week or so before they could pull them out and start working on them. And as I walked around that thing, I thought to myself, what would happen if somebody fell in this thing? (laughs) You'd be gone just like that. Just puff and vanish. It would be absolutely incredible. And that's what, that's what the future is going to hold for the unjust. So as we see here, uh, we read here that they're going to just be burned like, uh, like uh, wax, melt like wax. And in Revelation 20, verse number 15, Revelation 20 and verse number 15, anyone not found written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. Now, you will recall the original question, or the original title I gave to this sermon, the reality of the resurrection. So my question is, what is the reality going to be for you? How's the resurrection going to affect you? Now, there's actually about four choices here of how people are going to be affected by it. Let's consider the first one. I call this, when these folks are resurrected, they're going to be bewildered and in consternation. That's one category. Now, who am I referring to? Well, let's go back to Ezekiel 37. We'll see. Ezekiel 37. And uh, we read here, beginning in verse 1. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley and was full of bones and he caused me to pass by them all around and there were very many and uh, they were very dry and he said son of man can these bones live now we recognize this as a resurrection not a resurrection to immortality but a resurrection to physical life now how do we know that well, let's notice here, verse number, get down here to verse number 11, verse 10. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet in a great exceeding army. And he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Now here's what I want you to get. They indeed say, quote, our bones are dry, our hope is lost. We ourselves are cut off. Yeah, They're resurrected. They don't recognize what's going to take place here. They're awakening and they're suddenly they're in consternation. They're in bewilderment. They're not exactly sure what's taking place here. And then we go on. God says, I'll put my spirit in it. They're going to live. I'll put flesh on them, sinners on them, and they'll be they'll be living. And then they're going to know that I am the Lord God. So we have how many millions of people have died without that kind of knowledge, even today? Now, that's one that's one category of how people are going to be affected by the resurrection. Now, what's another one? All right, let's notice. Paul was talking here to one of these authorities in power. It was Felix, who was, I believe, a governor, a high-ranking official. And... Uh, he, wanted, he had an interest. He wanted to talk to Paul. Remember, this was a time when Paul had appealed to Caesar, and uh, it had already been decided by, I think, Agrippa and someone else that if, if he had not prevailed to call upon Caesar, this man could have been released. He hadn't done anything wrong. But when he appealed to Caesar, he was, re, he was required to go on down to Rome, or go on over to Rome. But anyway, Felix wanted to hear him. And uh, we read here, Paul is talking to them, and um, I don't, I'd have to look back here and see the passage where um, where uh, there was an interest shown here by this leader. But anyway, here's what he said. Unless beginning of verse number 21, it was for this one statement which I cried out. In other words, the council had delivered him for um, prosecution. And he said, I'm, I'm being probably, I'm probably here for this one reason concerning the resurrection of the dead. i'm I'm now being judged by you this day now paul as we read here when felix heard these things having a more accurate knowledge of the way and if i recall uh his wife was jewish and uh, he was very very knowledgeable about uh, jewish doctrine and uh, he adjourned the uh, proceedings and said let just the commander, come down. I'll make the decision in your case. So he commanded the centurions to keep Paul and let him have liberty and told him not to forbid of any of his friends to provide or to visit him. And after some days when Felix came with his wife Drusula, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul concerning the faith in Christ. So he wanted to hear about it. Now notice, notice the next verse. And as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control... And the judgment to come, Felix trembled. It must have really struck him. Because he was addressing the very issues that every single one of us are going to have to address in this lifetime. And that is righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come. And he trembled. So it gives you a prelude here to, um, to what the reality is going to be at a certain time of judgment in the future. Now, concerning the Psalms, let's go back to Psalm 119 and verse number 20. Psalm 119, verse 20. This is the longest psalm in the Bible, by the way. And uh, we read here, You rebuke the proud. Uh, Well, let's pick it up here. Open my eyes, he says in verse 18, that I may see the wondrous things from your law. I am a stranger in the earth. just temporary. Do not hide your commandments from me. My soul breaks with longing for your judgments at all times. Now, we have the word judgments here. Now, that in the Old Testament period involved decisions made regarding the law. In its much broader sense, judgment is when the sentence is passed. And what he's saying here is he, lo- he loved God's way and he didn't want the commandments hidden from him. And there was a reason, of course, that he wanted to uh, have the commandments because he said in verse 21, you rebuke the proud, the cursed, who stray from your commandments. There's a category of people who are going to be considered incorrigible. They're going to be lost. Now, God's a judge of that. None of us are. But in 1 John 4, 18, here's what uh, John wrote. 1 John 4, verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. Now, I'm talking about this second category of people who are going to come up in the resurrection. You know what they're going to experience? Fear and torment. Now, what's the Bible definition of love? 1 John 3, 4. Or 1 John 5, 3. His commandments. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not grievous. They're only grievous to unconverted people. And if someone is truly converted and wanting to obey God, they're not going to find any command of God grievous. So we read here that if one has fear, he's going to have torment. 1 John 2, verse number 28. Now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So what's going to happen? He's stating very plainly here there are people who are going to be ashamed, embarrassed and ashamed. 2 Timothy 1, verse number 7. Now, we consider... Uh, the calling that we have received from God, and what should our orientation in life be toward living God's truth and toward the coming resurrection? Here's what we read here. 2 Timothy 1, verse number 7. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, a disciplined mind. That's the spirit we receive from God. So, there would be no need of fear and torment. Yet, what's going to happen? What's going to take place at the resurrection? Well, let's notice here in Luke 16. Luke 16, verse number 24. Here's a parable of Lazarus and the rich man. And it's really a lesson about the resurrection. And uh, what do we read here in verse number 24? Here's a rich man. He cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in this water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented by this flame. He sees it coming. You know, the Bible had a tremendous influence on people avoiding evil overall. I mean, not the whole world in general, but the so-called Christian world. It helped immensely in convincing people not to do ungodly things because this this dead judgment was coming, and they realized. It wasn't until the nineteen, the 1800s that the Bible began to be cast aside and that Darwinism and evolution and all this garbage uh, masquerading as science got control of the world and the Bible's been disparaged and people don't have any fear anymore. That's one of the things it says about the time period in which we're living. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Is there any fear of God before yours? you better have it because fear has torment notice verse number 25 but abraham said son remember that in your lifetime you received the good things and likewise lazarus the evil things but now he is he is comforted and you are tormented yeah that's what people are going to experience at that time now, we can go one step further. What else are we going to see? Well, this knows Matthew 13, verse number 42. Matthew 13, verse number 42. Here he's talking about the time of the judgment. And uh, they didn't understand the parable of the tares in the field. And he explained to them. And then he said in verse 40, The tares are gathered and burned in the fire. So it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and who practice lawlessness. Listen, what is lawlessness? Disobedience to the commandments of God, isn't it? How many people practice lawlessness in this world today? I just finished, well, I haven't quite finished it. I've got 15 pages done on it so far, and I'll probably have 20 by the time I'm over it but I'm writing an article on immorality, the fruits of immorality. I think any parent should have get that article and read it, go over it with their children, teach them some things. Anyway, here's what he says. It will cast them into the furnace of fire. Now, what's the next reaction going to be for this class of people? There will be waiting and gnashing of teeth. Yeah, there are going to be two types. There are going to be two types of people here. People who are wailing and just absolutely sick to their souls because this is a predicament they allowed themselves to get into because they didn't take God's word seriously, and then the others are going to curse and gnash their teeth at God. That's going to be the reaction. Wailing and gnashing of teeth. Notice uh, Matthew 24, verse number 50. Matthew 24, verse number 50. Beginning in verse 48, if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming. You know, it's like I said earlier. What if this is the last day you're going to live on this earth? You don't know it yet, but you're going to be dead before the day's over. Where would you stand in the resurrection? How would God judge you? That's something to consider. So as he said here, he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him and in an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a category of people. That's how they're going to respond. Luke 13:27. Luke 13, 27. See, they're going to come. These are people who are who, who are affiliated and associated with God. And uh, they're going to say, why uh, we, we ate and we drank in your presence, and you taught us in the streets. So these are people who are associated with the truth. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you. Where you're from, depart from me, all you workers of lawlessness. Same thing there. I tell you, I cannot emphasize too strongly the importance of keeping God's commandments and living by every word of God to the very best of your ability. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. It's going to be a sad day for those people, isn't it? So that's the third category. Now let's go to the fourth one. This is a good one. And this is the one that we want to experience and we have uh, several good hints here in the Old Testament, even regarding this. Let's go back to Psalm 16, verse number 11. See, we just I just I want to go back and emphasize this because I read over it a few minutes ago, and he's talking here, reading a reference to Christ, and then he summarizes it here by saying, "You will show me the path of life." now." We only have a limited amount of time in this, in this world, don't we? So we're, we're looking at something that's far greater than just this physical existence. If this is all we're living for, it's meaningless. There's a lot more important things to life than just these, this physical element around us. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures evermore. In your presence is fullness of joy. What's that reaction by these people who are in this category? Joy, gladness, and elation. Now, that's the category we want to be in. Psalm 17, verse number 15. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied. I read that text a little while ago, didn't I? I'll be satisfied when I awaken your likeness. Oh, I should say so. Joy and gladness, elation, happiness, forever. Not having to experience what we go through in this life. In Psalm 68, verses 3 and 4. Psalm 68, verses 3 and 4. Let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Let them rejoice exceedingly. Sing to God, sing praises to his name, extol him who rides in the clouds, by his name Yah, rejoice before him. Sure, physically, the people did that to the limited degree that they could, but there's something far more important beyond that. That's just another little example Psalm 119, verse 19. Psalm 119 and verse 19. I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. My soul breaks with longing for your judgments at all times. Verse 18. Oh, my eyes, that I may see the wondrous things from your law. Now, is that your orientation now? Well, if you want that kind of orientation in the future, it better be now, because that's the changes we need to make until we realize the seriousness of it. Now, let's realize what Jesus said here. We're talking about the real goal that we're all striving to attain. And as we read here in Matthew 23, Matthew 25, rather, in verse number 43, Matthew 25, well, let's just pick it up here a little bit longer here, a little bit earlier here. Um, let's go back. And He says here, verse 34, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come ye blessed. Now in the Bible, the word blessed carries with it a natural reference to happiness. So what he's saying here, Come you, you, happy, you who are happy of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. And I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then they're going to say when. And he'll say because when you did it to even the least of those, you did it to me. Now who are the blessed? The ones who make it into God's kingdom. So that's the reality. Now as I start out here in this sermon, I said I had a particular point in mind, didn't I? And my particular point is this. What will the reality be for you? What will the reality be for me? That's what we need to be considering. And we need to realize that this life is very short. And even if you live to be an old age, you look back on that and you'll be absolutely bewildered how fast it's gone by. And then the final judgment will come. And how we react and what category we fit into is being determined right now by how we live.